In your Bible, if you have a Bible this morning, please open it with me to John chapter 3. John chapter 3. We are going to be continuing um, our service this morning, and I just want to really take a moment to think about how much of a blessing it is to just be in a service that is um, really setting this, this spirit of worship all throughout our service. We've done that through the songs that we've sung where we've just gotten to think about the Messiah and Jesus and who he is. We've done that through our giving. Uh, We've done that through communion and just thinking of the sacrifice that Christ has done for us. And we want to continue with that same spirit of worship this morning um, in the way that we read scripture and just think about the the truth that God has given us in his word. Uh, So if you'd like to open your Bibles with us to uh, to John chapter 3, and once you have either thrown away your cup or passed that, you can stand and, and read with me. Uh, But we're going to be continuing our study through the Gospel of John, really focusing on this question and this idea of who Jesus is, um, what he said he is in his word, what he's written about himself in his word, and what he has done for us in his earthly ministry. Uh, Last week we heard Pastor Matt give us a great sermon on John chapter 3 where Jesus has this dialogue with Nicodemus um, and really answers these questions such as what it means to be born again, what it means to have eternal life. And we got all the way to verse 15, and so this week, uh, the passage we're going to be reading is very familiar to all of us. It probably is the most famous verse in Scripture, John 3, 16 and 17, where Jesus lays out what is eternal life uh, for us. So if you would read with me, I believe it's on the screen. We're going to read John chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. This is the word of the Lord. And this is God's good news for the world. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we need your help when something is very familiar to us to be as amazed by it as we should. And, that, and that's the risk when we come to something well-known in the Bible is to, is for, is for, is to be ho-hum or to be uh, maybe, uh, maybe bored or for the amazement to be a little lessened than it needs to be. So I just ask that you by your spirit would increase the amazement over your love, increase the amazement over something that we have known for so long, over something that's so familiar and that you by, your, you, you, by your Spirit, would, would, would allow for the, the speaker and for the hearers to hear with simplicity the good news that Christianity has for the world, the good news that we see in the Lord's table of, of Christ coming to us, of the mission of the Son, of the giving of the Father. I pray, I pray that, that, that that speaker and hearer would, would hear clearly the offer to believe for everlasting life, that whosoever will can come to Christ to be saved, that this is your purpose for us, and that we would have amazement fill our hearts, that there would be hundreds of explosions of joy as we are sitting here in our seats on the spot with what you have done, and that we would, as, as believers, leave Leave believing and trusting in your Son, ready to imitate you, our missionary God. John consistently, over and over and over again, says, the Father sends the Son. And so help us now, Father, to accomplish these things. We need your help. And so we ask it, and we know that we have it. 
And we pray it in the name of Jesus and on his authority. And everyone said together, amen. You can take your seats, friends. Thank you. Well, good morning to you. It's just so great to be in church uh, with you. I'll introduce myself. My name is Matt, and I'm one of the pastors here. I'm the pastor of Young Adults and Connections, and it's just been an incredible joy to uh, choose the best place that is at Jesus' feet, gathered around His Word these last few weeks. Thank you for your attention and uh, for your love, for your love for God's Word. And we do. We come uh, come to the most famous verses, uh, verses in the Bible today. Uh, you, you know them. Um, they, they, there are certain things, they just, you've, you've heard them enough, they just roll off your tongue. And uh, John three sixteen, and I think 17, which is just really a, 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 an amplification of what was said in verse 16 and really gets us to the, uh, the next section that Pastor Phil will preach, verses, uh, verses 18 to 21, before we see John the Baptist uh, again in this, uh, in, this, in this third chapter of John. And so we, we know these really well. Uh, they, uh, they're verses we return to again and again for comfort. They're life verses. Um, these are printed on T-shirts. Maybe somebody here today has a shirt with John 3.16 on it. I don't know, maybe. It's, it is that common that could happen. Uh, they're, uh, they're, they're found on posters. Uh, they're painted on signs. They're held up uh, on posters on college game day on Saturdays in the fall. Someone's going to have it up. Um, it is well appropriately known. And I think it's true that for, that for some of us, maybe even most of us, we have been familiar with John 3.16 for as long as we have had memory. Now, why is this? Now, we're going to place it in context in just a minute, but, but, this, but these verses, John 3, 16 and 17, the mission of the Son, the giving of the Father, all of these wise, well, it's because these verses, better than any others in all the 66 books of the Bible, best summarize what Christianity is all about. You can tell the whole story here. And so if you're here today and you're a non-Christian, welcome. You are welcome here anytime these doors are open. We are delighted any and every time you come into church to be here with us today. You have a great opportunity. If you're here and you're not a Christian, you get to hear, well, I'm going to do my best to explain to you what Christianity is all about, what the good news is. Why, well, why is it that Christianity, mean, that, that, that at the essence of all that makes Christianity Christianity, everything that makes the church the church, everything that makes uh, all this excitement and enthusiasm about Jesus, everything that it is, is because of what we find here. We see in these verses the good news stated in a way that one pastor said is simply glorious and gloriously simple. Let me let me put it like this. So let me let me tell you, let me tell you the main point of today's sermon. Here's the main point. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever would believe in him will not perish, but will have eternal life. For this God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but that the world through him would be saved. That's the main point. It's simply glorious and gloriously simple. You could could add an adverb here. You could add emphasis or the text add emphasis, and we'll do that. But really, you would just have to say it again. It's just that clear. You can't improve upon it. You just state the verses exactly as they are, simply glorious and gloriously simple. And this is the good news that God has given us. And I think that if we can put aside um, the dangers of what can happen when something is familiar. I think there's a couple of dangers with, 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 with Bible verses that we know really well. The first is, uh, is to be ho-hum about what we've heard a bunch. Oh, here we go again. And even the words themselves, for God so loved the world that he gave us, uh, it, it, we're going to get into specifics, but we, wanna, we want the amazement to increase when we think about, think about this good news. And the other is to think that something like John 3.16, and it's not the only verse that's like this, in the Bible, but, but, but to think that something like John 3.16 is elementary and that it's for beginners. Now, it is 
in the sense that it's incredibly easy to understand. But the truths here tell us everything about what Christianity is all about. And so, friends, let me just tell you the, the, where I want to drive everything towards. I want to drive everything towards allowing or, or hoping, aiding uh, for each of us to leave here today understanding God's purpose for our lives. God's purpose for our lives. Either discovering it for the very first time or seeing it again fresh and new. God's purpose being that I and that you would have everlasting life. That's what he wants for you. That, that's my argument. That's where I'm driving. That's where everything's going. And let me tell you, there is a structure to it. It's, um, it's, it's, let, me, let me just tell you what that is. And these are the notes that will form, uh, those are the four headings that will form your notes there. Notes are on that back table back there if you want a hard copy or they're on the app under the Sunday tab. Four words, here's the connections. There is a love. There is an object of that love. There is a gift that is the measure of that love. And there is a purpose for it all. There is a love. There is an unexpected object of that love. There is a gift that is the measure of that love, and there is a purpose for it all. Now, that's not written out on your notes just like that. It's just going to be the words. I see you writing. I'm stressing you out. I'm so sorry. <laughs> that statement isn't there. I, should have, I noticed that in the first service, too, and I should have said it. Public service announcement. That's not on the screens. There is a love. There is an unexpected object of the love. There is a gift that is the measure, and there's the purpose for it all. Those four big words, friends, love, object, gift, and purpose, those are the four words on your notes here. Let's take it like this first. Let's start with the love, the love. Famously, it begins, for God so loved, for God so loved. So we first need to notice the word for. Now, for connects us with the preceding verses in this way. Everything Jesus has been saying to Nicodemus about the necessity of the new birth, about the power of change that comes through the Holy Spirit, and about the Son of God lifted up on the cross so that any and all that look, that see their sin there on that cross and believe that that Savior is being judged for their sin all of salvation itself finds its source and origin in what exactly? Human ingenuity? Human philosophy? Some sort of inherent goodness found in us? No. The source and the fountain of the necessity of the new birth, the power of the Holy Spirit for change, the Son of God lifted up on the cross so that any and all that see Him there as their substitute will have the poison of sin removed from their lives, finds its origin and its source in no other place but the love of God. That's the meaning of for, or because. That's another way to read it. Because. So everything I've been saying is true because. And everything I'm going to say after is because. In this, in this regard, when we get to verses 3, 16, and 17, we've reached the high point of John's gospel. Pastor Phil's going to keep this, um, this, uh, this monologue with Jesus about his mission and its consequences going next week as we move uh, through verse 18 and keep going through the end of the chapter. Now, friends, there is, um, there is so much we could say about the nature of the love of God. We don't have enough time to say everything that we could say about the nature of the love of God, but we can say this. If you are here and you are a Christian, you are relying upon Christ as the only means by which you can be saved. All the good things that you have in Jesus find their motivating force in the love of God for you, period. Period. That's it. That's what it means to say God so loved. And amazingly, amazingly, God desired to express this love toward an object. 
It has an object. It has a point. It has a, it has a direction that it's going. And then it's an unexpected and an undeserving one. Second, friends, the object. The object. Famously, the verse says, for God so loved the, what's your Bible say? World. Now, John really wants us to think about and make sure we understand what the world is. We know this because of how many times he uses the word in these two verses. Observe this with me. Look again at verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Now, notice verse 17 and notice the threefold repetition of the word world. Again, seven, verse 17 seems to be an expansion, amplification of the mission of the Son and its consequences. Verse 17, for God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Threefold repetition. Four times in two verses we have the word world. John really wants us to think about what he means when he says world. Now, when we think of world, immediately we may think of this big place. And it is a big place, this place where we live, this planet we inhabit. I just looked up today just because I wanted to be, just check my, check my information, make sure I was right. 7.753 billion people live on planet Earth right now. It's the highest ever in human history. 7.753 billion people, most of them below the southern hemisphere. There's actually a map that you can find. If you want to just, uh, if, if you're entertained by this kind of thing, uh, you, can just, you can just go home and just search in your computer, how large is Africa? Did you know that you can take the continental United States plus Alaska and, and, and put two of them over the, con- over the continent of Africa and still find space? That's how big it is. This is a really big place. But if we want to think God's thoughts after him, which is what biblical Christians do, in this case think John's thoughts after him as this inspired author, we want to have his definition. His definition of world is this. He does not just mean this big place. He means this big bad place. He means the totality of fallen humanity going its own way by nature and choice in rebellion against its creator, the world. The totality of, of, of fallen humanity going its own way by nature and choice in rebellion against its creator. This kind of world is of such a way that in his first letter in chapter 2, this same author, John, says Christians are prohibited from loving anything in the world. And it's interesting, his prepositions, 1 John chapter 2, do not love the world or the things in, first preposition, in the world, lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Very interestingly, if you were to take those three things, lust of flesh, lust of eyes, and the pride of life, your Bible would have a little variation, and you overlay those over the temptation of Adam and Eve in Genesis chapter 3, you will find them very similar. This is what the world is. The original temptation plunged us into this. It's this appealing to our flesh. And then he says, for all that is in the world is not of the Father, but is of the world. This is what the world is. And so John doesn't just mean this big place. He means this big bad place. And the object of God's intense love is this fallen world. And for Nicodemus, now Nicodemus, remember, Jesus is speaking to Nicodemus. uh, He would have thought, of course God loves Israel. He would not have expected God to say God's love is for the world, for the Gentiles, for them too, yes, for them too. Friends, our goal with this passage is to make it no less wide than it actually is. It is as wide as the world. It's as wide as me, it's as wide as you. That's the object, no matter who you are. And and, and the good news of chapter 3, verse 16, is that 
my friend, no matter what, we, no, what you have done or no matter what you have failed to do. You see, you and I as sinners by nature and choice, we have two problems. We are wrecked in two ways. I am wrecked in two ways. I'm a piece of work in two ways, and the same is true for you. We fail to do what we should do, and we do what we should not do. We are a mess. We're a wreck. It's not just. Listen, it's not just. It's not only that I do things I shouldn't do. There are things I ought to do that I don't do. And it's not just that I do things I shouldn't do and that I fail to do things I should do. Sometimes the reason I do the things I ought to do is from bad motives. I am a wreck. And so so are each of us. This is the object of God's love for the world. It is this world. But on the authority of this passage and what it says... It gives me, it gives you, as you're talking to your children or to your family or to your friends, the authority to say, God loves you. He loves you. The wreck that you are. How could this be? That's the question of John 3, 16. You see, you see how amazing? This is, this is a problem. This is a big problem. How can a holy God love the likes of you? And love the likes of me. This is a problem that he has to solve. And he'll do it. We'll learn in just a second. And friends, it's an amazing truth. He loves, he loves the world. God is gushing forth in love for the world just because he happens to be that kind of God who loves us no matter, no matter we, the, the things we have done that we should not have done or have failed to do what we should have done. He loves us. And the amazing thing is that for all of us, in 10,000 ways, we have forfeited any claim to his love whatsoever. And from this fountain of undeserved love, the entire notion of salvation comes. The good news of salvation is possible only today because of God's love for the world. Now, here's the question. What is the measure of this love for us? What is the measure? Friends, we have the love, we have the object of the love, and third, we have the gift. The gift. That God, we know, gave his only begotten Son. Now, the emphasis is placed on the Son of God. It could read like this, that his Son, the only begotten, he gave. That his Son, the only begotten, he gave. Now, your Bible may say one and only Son. Your Bible may say only begotten. There is so much we could say about the identity of the Son of God. Now, um, if you just want to learn more about that, I just don't have time to explain everything. I would just reference, go back and listen to Pastor Phil's messages from John chapter 1. John takes the entire introduction to his book, verses 1 to 14, to tell you what he means when he says the Son of God. But there are at least two things that he is and that we must know that he is. He is exclusive and he is unique. The Son of God is exclusive, and He is unique. He's exclusive. Friend, if you want to close with Christ for salvation, you must arrive at this place, that you cannot be saved through any other means, period, period, period. It is a lie, the lie of optionality in our world with who we want to be, with what we want to believe, with where we want to go. It's just, it's all, those are lies. The optionality gets us into trouble as it relates to salvation. There is only one. He is exclusive, and He is unique. And he is unique. God has one son. He has one son. And so the point 
that is being made is that God loved the world so or in this way. So when we read God so loved the world, we could think that would mean like God loved the world so, oh, 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 much, you know. But, but it's in reference to the gift. God loved the world so much that he did this. That's the logic. He loves like this. The gift is the measure of the intensity of the love. And that makes sense when we consider who the Son of God is. Friends, is there, think, of, think of the person, think of the most generous someone has ever been to you. You immediately think of something, of a, of a thing you got, maybe of time someone spent with you. Here's the truth. No one has been as generous to you as God. Can you think of anything or anyone that is as valuable, as lovely, or as precious as Jesus? And that's what he gave? And I think he's holding back? Friends, in the, God gave his son. Now, we'll talk about what that giving is in just a second. God gave his son. When the father sent the son on a rescue mission for the world, he gave his very best. What more do I want? There's no one more lovely, no one more valuable than Jesus Christ. And he said, you can have him. He has one. I have children. You tell me a better story than this, and I'll convert to it. There's no better story. An unworthy object on the wrong side of the tracks. And this holy God giving his very best to redeem them. This is the good news for the world. That God would give his son for you. God's a killjoy? What on earth are we thinking? He gave Christ so that we could be saved. And what is the nature of the giving? God so loved the world, and this, here's how you could read John 3, 16. Listen, listen, friends, here's how you could read it. You could say, these would all be alternatives. They're not there, but these could be alternatives. For God so loved the world that he did not destroy us in our rebellion. That would have been a very loving thing for an all-holy God to do. Or you could say, for God so loved the world that he gave us his law and only his law, so that at least then some of us could maybe have a fighting chance to get on his good side. But it says, God loved us so in this way, thus, that he gave his son. He gave the very best that he had. It gave him unto what? This must mean this giving must find its fullest expression in the giving of the son, in complete agreement, by the way, unto death on the cross to save us from our sins. Remember the context, verse 15. Christ has already said, I'm going to be lifted up on a cross so that all who look at me and see their sin there need only look to be saved. He's already introduced us to the concept of the constitution of simple faith. He's already introduced it, the empty hands of faith. That's all you need. He's done all the work, okay? He's done all the work. We just simply look to him. It must mean that, the giving up of the son on the cross. It must mean the son as redeemer, as savior, as recreator. I think this is the case. Consider the parallel of Romans verse 8, Romans 8 verse 32. Just write that reference down if you would like. Look it up later. Romans 8, verse 32, Paul writes this in, the, in, a, in an argument um, describing uh, um, salvation and all its components. He says, God did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. 
God did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. So that, as we trust in that son, he would be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in that son. And so there's a tension here. There's, a, there's something we need to try to resolve if we could take just a minute to do it. That is the tension of the love of God and the wrath of God. I, maybe, maybe you're thinking, maybe you're thinking. I thought, uh, uh, you, this is easy. There's more to the story than just his love, right? Well, sure there is. Yeah, there better be or he's not God. There's a tension. There's, there's a mystery that as diligent students of the Bible, we need to know. It lies right at the heart of the Bible. It can be stated in all sorts of ways. We'll put it in the form of a question, friends. It goes like this. How can God is, express his love without condoning us and our sin? Say it another way. How can God judge sin, which he must do, and justify sinners at the same time? These questions and all questions of the character of God are resolved at the cross of Christ where God judges sin and justifies all who will place their faith in him. Friends, the wrath, of, the wrath of God is on full display at the cross of Jesus Christ, as is the love of God. As is the love of God. It has everything to do with God's character so that he can be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Here's the big idea. In giving of the gift, he gave his best. He has given his best to you. He has not held back. I don't know what's happened to you. I don't know what you've been through. I don't know exactly how you're thinking about God, but I can tell you this. He loves you so much that he gave his best. Now, that leads us to ask this question. Why? Why has God done all of this? Why? What is the purpose of the most famous verse in the Bible? This leads to the purpose, friends, the purpose. The purpose. Why did God express the greatness of his love? By giving the gift of his son to a rebellious world. It's easy. So that this rebellious world, the rebellious world, and the whosoevers more accurately that fill that world could have eternal life through the simple means of faith. Look at the end of verse 16. That statement of purpose. Whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Verse 17, just amplification. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. The world was condemned already. But that the world through him, that, 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 into verse seven or second half of verse second phrase of verse seventeen that the world through him would be saved. This is the purpose that whosoever can believe. I told you that God has a purpose for each of us, and we could leave understanding it. And this is the purpose for our lives. This is the call. This is the summons that I give to you. Believe and keep on believing. Believe and keep on believing Christ for eternal life, the promise of all promises, life everlasting that we would all leave here today in some way, either for the first time initially or to continue persevering in the same way, understanding that the Christian faith means continuing in the same way you began, faith in Christ. I want, us, I want us all, in all the ways that we need to be, to be like Christian in John Bunyan's great allegory, The Pilgrim's Progress. Christian is this, is this character in this book, and John Bunyan, this old pastor, is trying to, trying to symbolize how someone comes to faith and the doubts you move through and the obstacles you have to overcome and everything that has to happen for you to become a Christian. And his name is Christian. And by the end of the book, he's, he's sailing with Christ and he's seen him as his righteousness and he loves him with all that he has. And, and at one point, his wife and everyone in his, everyone in his life is trying to say, don't trust in Christ. Do you know what you have to give up to believe into Christ? Yeah, you got to give up everything. And Christian finally comes to realize in this allegory, the pilgrim's progress, he finally comes to see he's got to, he's, it's going to cost him a whole lot more not to put his faith in Jesus. And he runs out of his home with his ears plugged, not listening to a single objection anymore, screaming, life, life, eternal life. 
Friends, our church exists for this. To say to you, plug your ears. Life, life, eternal life. Life in quantity. Sure, it lasts forever, but in quality. Jesus will tell us in John 10, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. That's the call. If you are here and you are not a Christian, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. When John says, believes in him, that is literally believing into him. It's, it's present progressive. Believe and keep on believing. Keep it going. Keep believing. Believe into him. For John, saving, faith, saving and persevering faith is as just as much mental assent about as it is an entrusting yourself to someone, to that Christ who died in your place, took your sin, took your shame, and took it down as, as far as humanly possible into the grave itself. And the Father was so pleased with what the Son did, he rose him from the dead. And when he did, this Son of God put a throne in a grave and says, I'm Lord of that. That's mine now, and you can rise over it. Because of simple faith. Believes you don't do a thing. Look, trusting in Christ, you may, we, we, sometimes we have objections. Sometimes the way we talk about putting our faith in Jesus leads, sometimes we talk about it as if we put our faith in our faith. That's useless. Friends, faith by its very nature is empty until it holds something. It's the empty hands of faith. It's all about your object. You can believe whatever you want about, fly, about your ability to fly, but if you strap on fake wings and jump off your roof, it's not going to happen. It doesn't matter how much confidence you have, but you can be scared to death and get on an airplane and make it. It's the object. It's the object. Or you will say something, or we can say something like this. I just don't have anything to give. Well, duh. You don't, th- th- of course you don't have anything to give. What would, we, what would we have to give? I've been so excited. I was excited in the first service and excited in this service to look at you and to say this with as much enthusiasm as I can. If you are not a Christian and one of your objections is, what, what, I got nothing to, I, surely there's something I have to do. All you must be prepared to bring to God to possess eternal life is nothing. All the fitness he requires is that you feel your need of him. All you need is nothing. All you need is need. That's it. All the work is done. My friend, put your faith in Christ. But this, but this, plug your ears. Plug them. Plug them. Life, life, eternal life. Plug, plug your ears. Don't listen. Don't listen. I got to do this. I got to do that. No, you don't. No, you don't. No, you don't. He's done it all. We will get to the end of this gospel, and Jesus will say, it is finished. Done. Stop. Lay your deadly doing down, down at Jesus' feet, and stand in him gloriously complete. That is why this church exists, to say that to you. Trust in Christ. I'm going to give you an opportunity in just a minute. I'm going to be right down here at the end of our service. I want you to come and to talk with us. And, and keep on believing in him. If you're a Christian, keep on believing. Remember that the way we get into this is the same way that we keep going. Galatians chapter 3, Colossians, remember, continue, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel. Remember, my friends, remember Paul in Galatians 2 verse 20, you have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer you who live. Just, Just get a hold of that for a second. It's no longer you who live, but Christ who lives in you. 
and the life that you now live in the flesh, all this stuff you do out here, you live by faith in the Son of God who loved you and gave himself up for you. Initial and persevering faith, this is God's purpose for your life from the most famous verses in the Bible.